In this season, we're asking the question, what is it? we're looking at this, this kind of title, Exiles and Ambassadors. Why are we doing that? Well, last year, we began to look at Jeremiah chapter 29. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this, but, but in Jeremiah 29 is um, uh, a kind of call, a prophetic call from the prophet Jeremiah to God's people who are locked in exile. Um, if you get a chance to read it, the first part of uh, Jeremiah tw- chapter 29, it has become the theological, how we understand how God works in cities. We are in the city of Sheffield. Maybe you're visiting Sheffield right now. Maybe you're a student here, but you've come here. Maybe you're working here. You're not quite sure why am I here. Believe, I believe this, that God has called us to this city at this time. And so in Jeremiah chapter 29, there's a man called Augustine of Hippo. And what he says, in every city, there are two cities. There are city, there's a city that you find yourself in. And so that's for us is a city where we are, we are working for, um, as if you listen this morning to Alan, my friend and colleague, Sutton Frank did an amazing talk about community, asking the question, how is the cut to 20 quid a week going to affect people in our city? Food banks are on the increase. How are we going to serve the city in this season? Because if God has called us to the city, we must always ask the question, where is he calling us to serve? And why are we serving? Because in this city that we find ourselves, as believers in Jesus, we believe that our home is the future city, which the John writes about the end of Revelation. Some call it heaven. Some call it the new creation. But it's essentially a garden city where there is no more COVID. Hallelujah. There's no more cancer. There is no more disease. There's no more broken relationships. That is just the perfection of heaven and the presence of God. And so we work knowing that we are citizens of another place, ambassadors sent into this kingdom, into this city to work for him. And our inspiration in the mornings is Nehemiah or Nehemiah. Uh, Some people call it Nehemiah, some call it Nehemiah. I don't think it really matters. When we get to glory, we'll ask him and he can tell us if he's offended or not. Okay, let's move on. And (laughs) And in the evening... We're looking at Paul's missionary journeys. What does it mean to be sent to the city? What does it mean for God to send us out in his name to do the things that he is calling us to do? And this morning, Alan did a brilliant word because he talked about the power of community. And if you're here and you're checking us out, you'll notice a couple of things. We love to worship Jesus. We love to honor the presence of God. We are unashamed about that. The scriptures talk about praise. That means we tell the Lord that we love him, irrespective of how we feel, irrespective of the circumstance. And we value and honor community. Why? Because if we are made in the image of God, then part of the way we reflect that is always meeting with other people. There's a dual aspect. Yes, the creativity that you have and the creativity I have and our ability to solve problems reflects God's heart. But when we meet in his name, he commands his blessing when we meet in unity. And when we meet in his name, he is there and he gives us gifts and we function like him because he is the Godhead. Look, we've gone deep already, folks, only a few minutes in. We, when we meet in his name, in community, we are reflecting God. That's why we love him. And one of the things that I'd love us to do, my heart really for this church, is that we begin to plant churches, embassies of God's presence, 
all across the city of Sheffield. And so if you're here and you're checking us out, that's what we're about. And you're welcome to join the ride. We are tracking through Acts if you've got a Bible. I'm old school. I know you can get it on your phone, but I just love to, I love to, to, I don't know, hold the book. Anyway, Acts chapter 14 in Iconium. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The power, the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, other with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. So what 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 we're seeing today is that Paul and Barnabas have moved on from Pisidian Antioch. And if you read the book of Galatians, you'll see that that in fact, it's interesting to, to, if you're reading Paul's letters in the New Testament, it's always interesting to read it alongside the book of Acts because it gives a slightly different context. It gives a picture to why he writes what he's, what he's writing, what the things that he's addressing often when he's writing his letters. And so what we're finding here is Paul has now moved on to Iconium and he's doing something that he's always going to do. You'll see a pattern of how he plants churches as somebody who is sent. Paul passionate believes, passionate believes that he has been sent by God to, but to reach people for Jesus. Paul has had the most dramatic encounter with the living God himself. So believes that he has been sent by God out into the world to preach and communicate Jesus. And his strategy is to go to the synagogue because that's where God's people are, the Jewish people. And because he's a rabbi, and no doubt he dresses like a rabbi, he functions like a rabbi, he's invited to speak. And when he speaks, he connects with the people that are listening and joins up the great ark of scripture, which is the Jewish scriptures, and then says, the one that you have been waiting for, the Messiah Jesus, you can encounter him. I have encountered him. He uses his own personal story of encounter to weave into the very fabric of scripture to communicate the grace and love of Jesus. And in Iconium, there is an amazing response. God does the most incredible things. There is a deep sense of God's presence. There is accompanied with signs and wonders. Often when Paul and the early apostles are speaking about Jesus, it is accompanied with the miraculous, kind of crazy, supernatural things that seem so unbelievable to us, but actually they're often weaved into the experiences of a lot of our lives. And so as Paul is communicating, God is doing something absolutely amazing. But it's met with trouble. You see, when we speak of Jesus, and when Paul is speaking of Jesus, he's beginning to say that the Roman Roman culture was that Caesar would be Lord, that you would pay homage to Caesar, you'd pay homage to the emperor. But Paul begins to say, actually, our homage and our worship and our life should not orient to the state, but it should be to Jesus. And so it is deeply offensive both to the Jewish people and to the Gentile people who are listening to him. And so naturally, as the gospel is shared, 
When we're called to give our allegiances away from our own life, but back to God, it creates a little bit of a stink. And actually causes a real issue in Iconium, Iconium for Paul. In fact, it causes a real problem. There is a real, real challenge. Here's the thing. When, when we begin to move out into the presence of God and we begin to speak of God, we're always met with opposition because the enemy of God doesn't like it. So we should expect opposition. So if we're going to do what we believe God is calling us to do as a church, we will encounter opposition. We're going to encounter, we're going to encounter hard times. We're going to encounter challenges. I remember years and years ago uh, talking to a lovely Pentecostal minister when I was living in Cambridge. And he, I remember asking him a question about when, when do you know it's time to move on? Not from this life, as in like, you know, in a particular job. And he said this, he quoted this passage, and it's never, I've never forgotten it, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. This is the Apostle Paul, he says this, I'll read verse 7 actually. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door of effective work has opened to me, even though there are many who oppose me. Here's the thing. God is doing amazing things in Iconium. It's absolutely incredible. There really is a remarkable move of the Holy Spirit. People are, people are being converted to Jesus. It really is incredible. But it's also really tough at the same time because there's significant opposition. In fact, as we read on, um, we see that, that in Iconium, it gets so bad that people begin to plot their death. Now, Paul is used to opposition. And in fact, the early church was birthed in persecution. But this is really bad. And not only is it just bad, it means that the, the Jewish people and the Gentiles have infiltrated the very uh, people, the leaders of the city, to stir their hearts against Paul and Barnabas. It's, they cannot stay, and if they stay any longer, they're going to die. But there's something quite remarkable that happens in verse 3. But the Jews refused to believe, stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their, miles against, and poisoned their mind against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord. Verse 3. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. If it was me, I'd have legged it. Do you know what I mean? Like if I'd been sent by God to a place and I was preaching the gospel... And bless you. And, um, and there were people who were responding, but also it was a real challenge. I think I might have seen it as a divine sign it was time to move on. Is that you, Lord? Do you really want me to stay? Because these guys, it's getting a little bit hot, actually, and there's people after us, and there are people who don't like us, and there are people who are now plotting to kill us. Do you really want us to stay here? And here's a something of the truth of the Scriptures that God is totally present with them. That is accompanied by miraculous signs of God's presence, of people converting. So God is totally with them. And it's really hard at the same time. And if I was going to give this, this talk a title today, it's this. We need to rethink tough times. 
We need to think through what it is to go through tough times. Because often when we encounter, or certainly I can, and what I've encountered with people, when we go through opposition or we go through times of trial and challenges in our life, we can often assume that God is absent because life perhaps isn't going the way that we think that it should. Because we've got presence of challenges, people coming against us, or we've got personal challenges. And so sometimes we can assume that God is absent when he is totally present. You know, there is sometimes a view within church life that when you become a Christian, you're going to encounter no troubles. I don't know whether you've encountered people like that. I have. There is this insidious assumption, not always necessarily spoken about in or articulated in a way but it, it, that we can always grasp onto. But, but I think sometimes within the culture of Christianity, expect there to be a trouble-free life, to be challenge-free. But that isn't the image that the Scriptures give us. That's Disney. Like where all your dreams come true. Or like Olaf, he likes warm hugs, right, and Frozen. Sometimes we think that God is like the Holy Spirit, is like Olaf. He just likes to give us warm hugs. If you haven't watched Frozen, I recommend you. I've watched it about 95,000 times. I've got two daughters. They love it. So when we can encounter trouble, where life doesn't quite work out the way that we might hope, we can sometimes think, I don't think God is with me. Maybe you're still single. You wish you weren't. Maybe the job isn't quite working out, or maybe your course isn't, or maybe you've spent half of your university time staring at a screen, paying nine and a half grand a year. This was not part of the plan. Where is God? What is he doing? This isn't what I signed up for. And yet, in Acts chapter 14, in Iconium, in the midst of the challenge and the opposition and the spiritual warfare, God is totally present. And that's really challenging. The church is birthed in persecution and challenge. We often pray, God, get me out of this situation. But his response is, I will get you through it. Why? Because culture tells us to pursue our best life. Hashtag living my best life. I hate that. I hate it. I see it everywhere. And I see it becoming part of ingrained into like these slightly weird Christian, slightly spiritual things that people put on Instagram. Hashtag living my best life. The apostle Paul wasn't living his best life. Do you know, people say, and I love this. I don't know whether it's true, but I'm holding on to that he, that he had a bald head. Thank you. They say that he had a crooked nose, that his eyebrows met him. How they know this, I don't know. But what we do know is by the time he comes to the end of his life, his body is so physically deformed from all the beatings. And so he's had the best life. Well, they do say he had the face of an angel because he shone the presence of God. You know, sometimes I think it's easy that because we buy everything, like I can click a button 
and my Uber Eats turn up, or I can click a button, a taxi turns up, or click a button, and Amazon, whether you love Amazon or not, but you can literally, you can press, I'm not pro it, or no, I'm just not getting to their work culture just before I get the emails, okay? Alan.Ward at STC Sheffield, if you're wondering, okay? But we do live in a consumer world, don't we? I mean, let's be brutally honest. I could just click a button on my phone. I've left my phone in my house. I'm feeling slightly stressed because I haven't got my phone. What's going on? But we can. And so sometimes we can assume that God works a bit like the God, why are you not dancing to my tune, God? Why is this not? Why am I experiencing these challenges? God, why are you letting me down? Maybe there's a sickness. Maybe there's something going on in life that, that you, you haven't told anybody. And you're fearful of future. Or, or, or it's like, God, this shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't be experiencing this. Maybe there's a mental health diagnosis and you're ashamed of it. Shouldn't be like this. There's some physical thing going on in your life. You think, God, it shouldn't be like this. God, I, I thought you were, you know, that guy, that guy in the red suit and the white beard who, if I'm good, you're going to make everything go right for me. Well, there's a kind of religious mentality that something I fall into is, well, I'm working hard for you, God. Do you not see what I'm doing for you? Could you not at least deliver on what I think you should deliver on because I'm really doing loads of great stuff? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, the Apostle Paul reveals something of what he believes about hard times. And he has a thorn in the flesh. He says it's a messenger for Satan. Essentially, there's a relationship in his life which is causing him great pain. And he prays and prays and prays and prays that God would take it away. And in my Bible, there's some red letters and it says this. God actually speaks to him audibly. He says, my grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, the Apostle Paul delights in weakness. That is the antithesis of the Instagram life where of your 25 best photos, you get the filters out and you put the best one on. That's what I do. There isn't a filter for growing back hair, unfortunately. Or you look at other people's lives and you think, wow, they're so much better than my own. And yet for the Apostle Paul, there is something of his understanding of the cross and resurrection that is this, that God can take the hardest things of our life Crucifixion, in the, if you ever remember a guy called Rich Goodman who worked here, there was an amazing moment where he was preaching here and he said Jesus had some hard, he was a scouser, Jesus had some hard times and he's referring to the cross. That was a challenging moment. In the words of Alan Partridge, it was a low point. The Apostle Paul sees the sense in which that the cross, the, the cross that, that, that in the very point of Jesus' death, where it looked terrible, that all of his followers betrayed him, thinking it's off to nothing. There's the silence of Easter Saturday and the resurrection on Easter Sunday, that when Jesus rises from the dead, the very power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us now. So the Apostle Paul, therefore, looks back at everything in the world around and sees that in weakness, God is strong. In times of absolute pain and challenge, God is totally present. In situations that look terrible and can't turn around, that God can bring his miraculous resurrection and turn situations around. And so when he faces this challenge, 
in Acts chapter 14, in Iconium, he knows that in opposition and challenges, God will always work his purposes. But you know, sometimes church, we don't. And sometimes when we face challenges and difficulties, we think that God is not with us when it's the exact opposite. He's always with us. And sometimes we don't know why we are experiencing the pain and the challenges that we are experiencing. But God will never leave us nor forsake us. In Isaiah 43, it says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. It doesn't say you'll never pass through waters. He promises his presence. He says, when you go through the fire, you will not be burned. He doesn't say you will never go through a fire. I will protect you from the fire. Oh, no, I don't want you to go into the fire because you'll get burned. He says, I will be with you. It's a promise to God's people as they step into the promised land. The promise of his presence. The promise that he's be with them. What kind of challenges are you facing right now? What happens when life doesn't go to plan? Carissa and I got married in 2004. We were five. We're living in London, down south. (laughs) And we thought, well, we'll, um, we'll crack on and have kids fairly quick. Why not? Do you know what I mean? You're a very serious lot, aren't you? <laughs> Let me explain what happens, folks, because you look like you're a bit lost. No, no. So uh, we'd been married for a year and moved to Oxford, where I was going to train to be a vicar. And we, we chose a flat. I say flat, it's like a bed sit, but we thought um, it's big enough to get a cot in. Because we thought, it won't be long. And it was in our time frame. My wife loves a plan. And that was the plan. In fact, me proposing was part of the plan. She gave me an ultimatum, which was, if you don't propose... I'm done. You need to propose to me now. So I was like, flipping heck, I better propose. I was quite chilled, folks, just carrying on as I was in my semi-bachelor lifestyle. But she didn't want that. She wanted a plan. We're going to get married. We're going to have kids. She got married at 25. We thought we'd crack on and have a family. That was the plan. Maybe you've got a plan. Maybe you're waiting to meet Mrs. Wright, Mr. Wright, who looks like Adam Peter, who loves Jesus. And he's going to take you out and you can't wait to meet him. Maybe you've got a plan for the job. What's your plan? And we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited. And then we started seeing doctors and GPs. And (laughs) stories I'm not going to go into because I think they're funny, but you probably won't. And we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited. But God, you're not sticking to our plan. Where are you, God? Why are you not doing this, God? Does that ring a bell with anyone? We waited five years. Some people I know waited ten years. Some people I know the breakthrough never came. We needed medical intervention to help us conceive our eldest child. And we thought, well, we're going to, now we've had the first one through medical, our second child, that'll be straightforward. And I'm sure God will bring the breakthrough. And we prayed, and we used to stand at the front here, and people would lay hands on us, and we prayed. 
people laid hands on us loads and we prayed and we prayed and then for our second child the breakthrough didn't come and we well the breakthrough did come through medical intervention and so on through our three children I would love to tell you folks that there aren't times when somebody tells me that they're pregnant and it was like an immaculate conception there isn't like a little twist in the hearts which is I'm really pleased for them God but why didn't you do that for us that was great for them and I'm, I'm genuinely pleased for them but they just seemed to look at each other and, da, 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 and woke up one day and that's it. How did that happen? Why didn't you do that for us, Lord? I'd love to tell you there wasn't a time when I was so angry that somebody cut me up on crooks. I turned around the car and chased them down the road. And I thought, this is not, I'm a Church of England vicar. That's not a good idea to be chasing people. Because I was so angry. I was so frustrated. I wasn't dealing with all. I would be lying to you if I said that. But this is what I can say. In the midst of the greatest challenges, God is always present. And God has been very good to us. If you see our three kids, and I'm reminded of that when they're waking up, our youngest is waking up at three o'clock in the morning, and one of she wants to watch an Australian TV show called Bluey. How grateful I am. God is good. Do you know what I encounter with Christians sometimes is that when they go through hard times, they're like, I need to step back for a season. I'm not in the right place. And I think that's really funny because in my reading of the scriptures, God often calls people when they're not in the right place. God often appeals to people for whom haven't got it sorted, who haven't got it together, who haven't got the personal wherewithal to be able to do it in their own strength. They're the ones that he looks for. But we say, I'm not going to come to church for a season. I'm going for a hard time. And I know sometimes there are things seriously in people's lives, and I get that. I'm, I'm speaking in generalizations. I know that, and I'm not wanting to offend anybody. But, but whether it be our mental health, what we call burned out, sometimes the apostle called poured out. I'm having a hard time. I can't cope with it. Well, well, in the scriptures, God promises his presence. He promises to sustain us, to, to be with us, to help us. To, we want to get out of it, but he wants to get us through it. And what I've learned is there is often purpose in the pain. That if our prayer is that we want to know God more, then often he takes us on these journeys where we discover more of our own brokenness and our mess, and he begins to piece us back together. So what does it look like to deal with this kind of stuff? Twelve years ago, when we were waiting for kids, um, not knowing if we'd ever had kids, we decided to buy a Labrador. Now we've got a clue what we we're doing. If you ever met our Labrador, he had to have him put down in the summer, but he wasn't the most well-behaved. We kind of came to an agreement in the end, and that's how we got through life, really, with him. But the strange thing about dogs is when you get them is they don't come fully trained. It's really frustrating. You have to train them. And there was, when we would walk him, he would sometimes, if he didn't like where we were taking him, he'd sometimes try and go his own way. And if he didn't like it, he'd sit down and, and then he would hold his lead. And we had to kind of get him to just submit and follow us and just do what he was told. And he found that very difficult. And essentially, we had to encourage him to surrender to us because we were, in theory, in charge of him. Although at times it didn't feel like that. 
when you're going through your hardest, most painful moments, there is an, always an invitation to access God's heart. And it looks like this, surrender. You kind of take off your own crown. I'm in charge of my life. God, I'm angry with you. You're not doing what I want you to do, God. I need to know why you're not doing this. And you have to sometimes say, God, I give up my right to know. I give up my right, God, to know why we experience the pain of infertility. I need to give up my right to know why my brain is rewired as dis- because of the dyslexia. I give that up. It's painful, but God, I, it's the bitterness. I'm getting angry. I'm just going to give that up. Look, God, I don't know why I'm experiencing these mental health challenges. I'm gonna, God, I'm going to take it off because... I'm going to surrender my life to you. Jesus, I want to give my life afresh to you. My grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. If you're checking us out today, and you're wondering, what is this church like? Let me tell you this. I will always talk about weakness. I'll always share my own. You'll hear the stories loads, because I don't have many. And I've not got a great memory, so I repeat them a lot. But my reading of scripture is this. That in our greatest vulnerabilities and in our greatest pain, Jesus meets us. In our greatest challenges. And yeah, we've got questions. Why does God allow suffering? Yes, they're real. And I'm a theological geek who loves to wrestle with that. And if you really want to chew it, Meet with my mate Alan Ward, because he will, he loves all that stuff. But there's part of it where we say to God, God, this is what I'm going through. I give this to you. Because in the midst of the pain, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. My fear as an old man, and if I can be so blunt for your generation and all the narrative around mental health, and I need to say, I'm going to probably say this super clumsily, it's not meant to, is that my fear is you count yourselves out. And actually, the Holy Spirit's saying, no, come on. There's a city of people who are hurting and are broken, who can't look in the mirror, and I'm sending you. Yeah, but I'm, I can't, you can't send me. Isn't that somebody else, God? Yeah, but I want you. Yeah, but they're all sorted. They're more sorted than me. Yeah, I know that, but I want you. And I want you. And I want you. Yeah, but you don't know my history. Yeah, I do actually, because he's God. He knows a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? Let's give him credit. He knows how many hairs are upon our head. More than others. But he says, I want you. I want, yeah, but you don't know my family background. Yeah, but I want to bring healing. Yeah, but you don't know that. You don't know my addictions. I can break those, and I can bring healing. And turn your life around. Because in this book, the Apostle Paul, you know, he had a few skeletons. We had to deal with that. And I can deal with it. And I can help you. I can bring healing. And I can bring wholeness. And I can make you more like my son, Jesus. And we can love this city because there is a future place that we are going. Where there's no more COVID, no more cancer. Relational breakthroughs. And we want to see that kingdom of heaven manifest on earth. And I want you to do it. I'm calling you. I'm sending you. And we say, God, I don't know all this stuff, but I take it off and I say, Jesus, take my life. 
says at the end of Joshua, choose this day who you will serve. There is an invitation for every one of us tonight. Say, God, I'm going through some challenging things right now. Wrestling with singleness, whatever it might be. I'm in pain. But Jesus, I want to invite you in. Come minister your grace. Do you know, some of the wisest, oldest, most godly Christians that I know, if you track their stories, they all have a story of pain. Life hasn't always gone to plan. But when life hasn't gone to plan, they've kept tracking with Jesus. And when you look back at their lives, you think, wow, I want to live like that. I want to live like that. How about you? Why are you counting yourself out? That's why we need to rethink the presence of challenge in our life. Because it could be the thing that God is going to use in your life to reveal his beautiful, powerful grace and his love for you.